anytime I'm nervous before anything I do, anytime, if I have a big presentation, if I'm speaking in front of a group, just you know, something yeah. that feels challenging, I genuinely stop and think to myself, two things. I think I worked directly with Indra. That went well. And I read a script that mocked a CEO to his face and he was okay with it. And I made it through. So I am going to be fine. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 90. And my guest today is Laura Stahl, who's a talent development consultant at Ernst & Young. And she has a fascinating perspective on how to develop top talent within your organization. I'll give you a little hint. It has to do with her background in improv. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Laura, thank you so very much for taking time out of your day to be a guest uh, on my podcast. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Happy to be here. I and, like what you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. And, and just for the record, your husband, Jay Suko, was an earlier guest uh, on the podcast. And he was the one who said, Pete, you got to get my wife on this, on your podcast. She'll bring uh, a lot of, she'll bring a lot of value to your show more than he did. I think those were his exact words. <laughs> well, he's full of it. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Lord, <laughs> um, give the audience a little bit of your background. You're very unique and very interesting background. What I currently do is, how's this for corporate speak? I am a TDC for CBS SL at EY. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we know what I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> what that means is I'm a talent development consultant for, in, for the internal um, function at EY. And so CBS is core business services. So um, EY being Ernst & Young. And um, what I do is look at strategic programs across a very broad population. So all of our internal folks across all of the Americas. And we look at ways to align enterprise-wide strategies, specifically as it relates to talent, to this very broad population. So things that cut across marketing, finance, accounting, um, internally. What are programs that we can put in place and how do we measure them? How do we you know, how, how do we ensure that our folks are aligned to strategy and that we're executing all of the things that at a really high level we say we're trying to accomplish? So that's the role that I'm in now. Okay. Um, so I got my start at KPMG. It was 1997. And I started out as a banking consultant strategy. We, we, at the time, I was part of what was called the strategy and ops pool, which is kind of a broad thing. But at the time, it worked. So we did different projects on strategy and or operations um, at Wall Street type banks because I was in New York at the time. And um, 
it was, you know, it, it was a crazy experience. It was, I don't think things look that way anymore. Um, my first traveling project, they sent me to Frankfurt, Germany. Wow. I was there for six months. I did not speak a word of German because I thought I was going to be there two weeks. And of course, I had the books and I was all ready to, you know, become a German expert, but it, it didn't work out that way. Um, but it was the time in the world where they could do things like say, um, hey, we can either fly you home once a month, business class, which at the time was like, I think it was about $8,000. Or you can stay in Germany and you can travel intra-Europe oh, for wow. that equivalent amount of, you know, for that or less. So we were so obnoxious. It was a group of consultants <laughs> all from the US. They were doing like a, it was international gap to US gap conversion at the time. And I'm not a, you know, that's not my specialty. So there's probably people listening, yelling like, no, that's not what it was. <laughs> um, but um, we were so obnoxious. We'd walk to the travel agent on our lunch break on Wednesday and we'd go, um what does it look like to go to Athens this weekend? And she'd go, well, the flight doesn't leave at the right time. We'd go, uh, Barcelona? <laughs> wow. Okay, you could fly it you know, this time. And then we would look at the leading hotels of the world book and we would pick our hotels. It was just so obnoxious. Um, and it was an amazing life experience. And... Um, Oh, heck yeah. I know. And so that was in New... So I was based out of New York at the time. And um, the folks that I worked with were all from Chicago. And I adored them. And they were just so much fun and unique and different from everything I knew in New York. And so long story short, I moved to Chicago sight unseen. Um, I actually flew from Germany one weekend to Chicago. I found an apartment, flew back to Germany. And then when the project wrapped up, I basically went to New York, packed up my stuff and moved to Chicago. Wow. Still in the context of working at KPMG. And I love you know big firms like that. I mean, I asked my boss if I could move. He said, just tell me when you want to recode your timesheet to you know the Chicago office. Nice. Yeah. So um, then I stayed there and did all kinds of... you know It kind of fractured off into different specialty things. And long story short, it was not my passion. It was not my passion to say the least. Um, one of the days that really sort of put me over the edge was we were talking about the Basel Capital Accord, which was a thing at the time. And um, there was a guy on my team who was so worked up about it in a meeting that he was banging his fist on the table and he was like frothing at the mouth about how we would categorize certain loans. And I was watching him and I just thought, I got to go because <laughs> I'm never going to feel that way. And good for him that he does. And I, I got to find something that I feel even, you know, a tenth of that passion for would, would be a good thing. In the, so as I was feeling that, I said, okay, I'm finally grounded for a while. I was on a project that was based in Chicago. So I had some time, you know, to, to stay put because I was traveling quite a bit when I was there. And I lived up the street from Second City. So, well, let me back up. First, I took a pottery class. Okay. I hated it. Hated everything about it. So boring. Um, my friend and I just laughed through the whole thing and didn't even finish it. And that was kind of like the first, you know, hey, let's branch out and do something fun. So pottery didn't work. Second City was up the street. So I took a class and it was amazing. It was just, um, you know, it, it, it lit up my life. Brian Posen was my teacher at the time. Oh, it was, yeah, he was he just, was, yeah. he, was, he was my first teacher. Was he? Yeah. Oh, he's a, he is like, if you want to have a great first teacher, right? If you want to get hooked. <laughs> yeah. He did a really, really great job. So 
Um, so then what happened was kind of taking you along on this journey here. Um, I got sent, I thought I was going to stay put. I was working at the Bank of Montreal. Well, I was working at Harris Bank, which was owned by Bank Montreal. And then suddenly they said, no, no, you guys need to go to the mothership. So you have to go to, to Bank Montreal to finish this project up in Toronto. Luckily, Second City had uh, an off or whatever, a branch yeah. up there. And I begged and pleaded and they said, okay, you can continue. Uh, you know, you can take level two up there. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Great experience. So my, I kind of did the two up there. I was in Second City. I was, you know, uh, I was, I was banking by day, uh, playing at night. I, in that process, learned that I am not a performer. I do not have the gene that makes someone come alive on stage. It's just not my thing. Um, I can present. I have no problem. You know, I, I think I'm, you know, decent at at being on a stage, not in an improv context, but. Um, what I observed was that when we started having student shows, the rest of the class was freaking out. You know, they're in the back of the room, you know, they're backstage, people are panicking, they're sweating, somebody threw up, they're, you know, just just so nervous. And I was just kind of like, you know, dudes, it's our friends out there. Like, what's <laughs> relax? What's gonna happen? Curtain comes up, these people come to life, I shut down. Oh. It just I, I I, there was a time where I was on stage and there was laughter of some kind. And like, I, it just doesn't work for me. I'm looking around on the stage going, what's happening? What are they laughing at? Like, is, is there someone behind me doing something? I don't understand what's happening. And a friend who was in the audience said like, no, that's like applause. That's what you're going for. <laughs> you know, that's, that's people laughing at your performance. And I just was so uncomfortable with it. And it just, it was insight for me that, okay, like it's a, it's a gene, it's a thing. It's a, it's a, it, either you have it or you don't. And so I was fine. I, I wasn't really aiming to be a performer. For me, it was really about the play. And I saw the, you know, it changed the way I showed up at work. And I was perfectly fine, you know, just taking classes. Um, and let me think, where did I go next from there? I ended up meeting my husband, who, um, who is an improviser. He is a devoted improviser, Jay Suko, who you had on the podcast and you mentioned earlier. And he was really the one that pushed me and said, like, how long, you know, because at that point I was just so miserable. I was doing the consulting thing. It just was so clearly not for me. And he said, how long are you going to do this? Like, what, what's your end game here? What, how long, like, what's it going to take for you to leave or, or do something different? Is the money really worth it? Is the are the frequent flyer miles that enticing to you that you're going to stay just because you like having executive status on you know, uh, and that really kind of you know it, it. I left. I I I bowed out. It was time we they sold a big piece of work. I was going to be going to New York for a big project for at least a year, and um, I signed off and I said, you know what, I'm going to go try something else. I don't know what. So it took about a year traveling, burned off the frequent flyer miles and the, you know, the hotel points and all that kind of stuff. Um, we got married. Then I took a job. I thought, you know, they always say, follow your passion, right? Right. So I love traveling, right? I was, I was 1K on United. That was, you know, it was a big deal. So I said, well, why don't I work in travel? I'm working in the travel industry. And United at the time was hiring outside people to come because it was right before they cut everybody's um, uh, pension. And they were trying to do... They, were, they, they had the right idea. They wanted to bring in outside people and, and new ideas. Um, once I started working there, I saw why. I joined that. I, I got a job as a national sales manager for their international tour operations. So it was kind of like managing accounts at a really... Um, 
you know, like managing them from the center. And then there were salespeople on the, on the ground and on the road who did the actual sales stuff. Um, United was an incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Terrible company to work for at the time. <laughs> I don't think they've changed very much <laughs> from what I've been able to ascertain. <laughs> Um, I'll tell you what put me over the edge with that job was um, there was a there was this just this big data project. There were all these old tickets that needed to be reconciled, and it was just this you know it was like this ongoing problem, and it was literally like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that needed to be cross referenced. And the solution at the time was, hey, we're going to take these two people and put them in a room and like lock the door. They don't have to do their regular jobs, and they're going to sit there and cross-reference stacks of paper. And I said, well, hey, I know that we have a source file that has all of that information on both sides of the transaction. So what if we did a VLOOKUP? And my boss just looked at me and looked back at the group and just continued the conversation as if I never said that. And <laughs> they didn't do a VLOOKUP. They locked these people in an office for, you know, probably a closet actually, for whatever amount of time. And I, um, I, I left. That was not the place that I, I... I really saw it as like my career will, my, will die here. This is where people... This is just not... like I, I felt like I was kind of more on the front side of... of um, of being in good business and yeah. being there felt like it was really going to take my career back a, a very long time. So did the bold thing there. And on the way out, my husband said, when are we going to start a business together? Um, let me back up now. So he... Okay. So actor does a lot of corporate work and I would read scripts with him. So he, you know, he'd be like memorizing lines and I'd read stuff with him and it was corporate. And I'd read these things and go, uh, did actors write this? Because I don't think this is how it really works in the business place. This is just like an actor thinking that this is what work looks like. So it kind of got me thinking like, hey, there's an opportunity to be a little more real. Yeah. And what and what I saw really wasn't connecting from a business perspective. It was really more like, how do we just come in and be funny? At a big sales conference, or or whatever, or how do we, you know, say that improv is like business, but really, it's just us pushing our agenda, or it's just us trying to make a couple extra bucks because we know the money's on the corporate side. And that, you know, he and I had been talking about that for a while, and I was thinking, like, man, I, there's just an opportunity to do this so much differently that I think people would love. So I left United. I was literally driving home from uh, from Schaumburg, and he said, you know, what are we waiting for? And I said, you know what, let's do it. So I went home, um, started a business plan. And in a couple months, we landed our first client. And that was Indra Nooyi of PepsiCo, who's their CEO. And at the time, I think she was the fourth most powerful woman in the world ahead of Condoleezza Rice. And um, we got her, we, we got that work through a phenomenal meeting producer who saw what we were doing. Her name was Robin Wetzel in Focus Events in Skokie, Illinois. She, I am forever indebted to her. She saw the plan that we had put out. I reached out to her. She, she was interested. And she said, you know, I have some really high-level people who might be interested. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She actually called me up after a meeting with them. And she said, uh, let me ask, do you guys do experiential learning? And at the time, I think that was kind of newer. And I said, uh-huh. And I started Googling, what is experiential <laughs> learning? <laughs> That's entrepreneurship. <laughs> of course we can. <laughs> right. Now, what is it exactly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And so um, happily, it was a phenomenal experience. We did some behavior modeling. So we brought in improv as a way at the end of... She she had a a large meeting with some of her... like It it was 100 people, but in a way, it was sort of like direct... I mean, it wasn't really direct reports, but that was kind of how they they thought of it. It was like her top executives. And um, she had been talking about change and she'd been talking about all these bold moves they needed to make to you know, to, to, to follow this new vision that was being laid out. And so what we did was we came out and we had a team of facilitators and we, we, we had, we did some, I did some, some pretty good interviewing to get to understand like, what does your life look like? What are these problems? What does it look like within your organization? And what are the barriers? And so then we set up these little work, work groups where we would model bad behavior. And we would have them jump in and oh. we would say like, this is where it's going to go wrong, right? This is what you're going to see. So now let's play with it. And how do you make it work in a realistic way? Like, let's not fake it and just right. make it, you know, la, la, la. But for real, you know, challenge each other. And, and, and we had them role playing with each other and, and doing these bad behaviors or these old ways of thinking and help them think through, you know, how can I be really equipped when I go back to my desk? to bring this to life on my teams. Yeah, so that was our first project. Um, we did a number of other things with Pepsi. Then we started working with McDonald's. Um, we worked with a guy <laughs> who had just come over from the UK. His name was Steve Easterbrook. We didn't really know much about him, just that he had come over from the UK. He's their CEO now. Um, we worked with um, the CEO of Tenneco at the time, which was the most amazing experience because we wrote a, this one was for fun. This was in the evening after a big meeting. You know, it was like a you know just kind of like a fun thing. They wanted to do kind of like a, a riff on company quirks, and so we wrote this script. And they really wanted to humanize the CEO because he was super. Um, he, he was a unique character, and he was sort of branded as such in the organization. And everybody knew he was. Um, he just had a unique personality. So we tried to sort of humanize him with his uh, with his approval and with his it was his communications director who who you know who brought us on board and was like push it go do you know have fun with this. So then we didn't realize it but we show up one time to go through the script and they said oh it's going to be you and Mark his name was Mark Frazora I think he's he might be the CEO of Hertz right now or he was for a while. Um, they said, it's going to be you and Mark in his executive boardroom. You guys are going to read through the script for him. So it was me and Jay, my <laughs> husband. And we had this script that mocked this man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an actor. <laughs> and we had to read through it in front of him. Um, he sat there with a flat face through the oh, entire thing. You know, <laughs> no emotion. Um, when we were finished, he gave us notes that pushed it further. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crap. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a... I, I genuinely use that. Care, I carry that forward in my career. Anytime I'm nervous before anything I do. Anytime. If I have a big presentation, if I'm speaking in front of a group, just you know, yeah. something that feels challenging, I genuinely stop and think to myself, two things, I think. I worked directly with Indra. That went well. And I read a script that mocked a CEO to his face and he was okay with it. And I made it through. So I am going to be fine. <laughs> and he liked it so much, he added more stuff to it. <laughs> <laughs> it just, 
<laughs> it was fun. So yeah, it, it's just so to me, it, it it was such a great experience because these are kinds of things I never could have done had I had you stay in the big corporate structure, right? Like the fact, you know, when when you're part of a big company and you're a senior consultant way down on the rank, nowhere near a partner, you don't get access to a CEO. I mean, most partners don't get access to to, to that level of CEO unless they're, you know, the global account, whatever. So it, it just, it gave me a confidence and it really gave me an, uh, sort of like an insight into how powerful this stuff really was and um, how much could really be done with you know with connecting with people and what i found it was so interesting i really thought that we were going to get started and do you know when we started the company i figured you know we're going to do weddings and bar mitzvahs for the first couple of years <laughs> while we kind of build up our base right 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 and i mean i didn't plan for success because i had no idea i couldn't have never defined that as the vision it just you know it it I guess we put the work in to get it there, but um, it, it's just tough. It's interesting as an entrepreneur to 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 see that happen and to observe it and to say like, "Wow, this you know this this didn't go the direction we thought." When I was sitting away, you know, writing this business plan, and and you know, had I envisioned, had I known where it was going to go, it just it just would have been a different. I don't know. It just it just blew my mind. It was crazy. Wow. Um, That's I mean. <laughs> to, start, to start a business and, and your uh, and, and as it reads on your LinkedIn page, created corporate learning experiences using improv and theater to drive behavior change in global organizations. <laughs> your first client, you're starting, you're entrepreneur, you're ready to do this. You just left probably the, maybe the worst job you've ever had, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you land Pepsi. <laughs> and then yeah. it just went up. It just went up. That's a that's a yeah. story. I still can't believe it's me. I still can't believe that's my experience. It's yeah, it, it, it was wild. And and you know, just to to even further it a little bit more, it was Pepsi, Kraft, McDonald's, Yahoo, AT&T. Um, so you know, that that we worked with. So great experience. And um it's also incredibly stressful to, as you know, to try to run your own business. The big thing was how when what's the how do you work both on your business and in your business? And the big shift, right? The big shift needs to be to work less in it and more on it. And that made me very uncomfortable. I really liked the work I was doing. I really ha- kind of had a, a, a special skill set that I didn't know that I had about writing corporate, um, writing sketches and writing, you know, like designing these programs and bringing the learning into play. And um, so, yeah, we reached a decision point. It was like, okay, we, you know, we're at capacity. Um, uh, then the economy changed. It was 2007. Things got rocky and wild, and I am, you know, things did not look as successful during that. It, it was a stressful, lean time. Right. And I looked at Jay and I said, "I, I got to go back. This isn't for me. I need the safety of a warm corporate blanket, and um, this is not doing it for me." We also didn't have the Affordable Care Act at the time, so we had no health insurance, and you know, we wanted to have kids, and it was so out of the question. Um, interestingly, I didn't put this on my bio, but I was featured in the Wall Street Journal um, above the fold and a big thing with picture and everything for making that transition. They reached out, um, you know, again, through our network, somebody kind of found us and they reached out and said, we're doing this article on whether or not when the Affordable Care Act comes into play, are we going to see a mass exodus of entrepreneurs who took corporate jobs who now want to go back 
because they can because of insurance. And so, um, so yeah, I was in the I was in the Wall Street Journal. And um, when, when was that? That was 2011. That was right when I started at EY. Which, of course, I got in hot water because I didn't clear it through whoever needed to be cleared with it at EY. And um, yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find that article. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... It's out there. It's out. I just Googled it the other day, actually, because I was curious. And um, it's, it's, yeah. The, t- you know, the, the, t- the title is, do you remember what? Uh, I'll think of it. I don't know it offhand. Okay. Something about beget entrepreneur. Will will insurance beget entrepreneur? The word beget is in there. An entrepreneur. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I was just in the Wall Street Journal and can't remember the title. Ha, really? ha, ha. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You know, <laughs> I, I, if, if I would tell you that I'm extremely jealous, I hope you would believe it because that's, <laughs> that's a, a wonderful story, wonderful background leading up to now that you're at EO. E- is it E-N-Y still? I thought they get rid of Yeah, it's E-Y, which is tricky because, you know, when you go to a doctor's office and they say, write down your employer's name and I write E-Y, they always look at me like, no, really, what what is the company name? That doesn't make sense to us. So I still write Ernst & Young, but so the, yeah, it's E-Y. You so you work for Ooh? Is that who it is? I work for Ooh. <laughs> so as a yeah. talent development consultant, developing talents. Yeah. Can, can, do you mentioned about programs that, that, mm-hmm. that you're rolling out? To, so, what kind of programs are you rolling out to the uh, the assurance and, and the tax part of, of that of the business? So, I can speak. My specific experience is internal. So, I actually don't work with the advisory, the assurance, the tax groups. Okay. I work with all those people. And really, what my job is is taking the programs designed for those people and making them relevant to the internal crowd. Because it's very different. It's a very different career model. It's very different, just very different needs. So I know the stuff that we're doing for the, you know, what we call the service lines, but, um, but I, that's, that's not my particular focus right now. The kinds of programs we do. So in this talent space, the big thing that we're looking at is we call it career journey. So, um, you know, we've completely revamped our. Um, performance management system, and we've done away with numerical ratings, which is a big trend now. And Yay. we just have, right? I know it's it's, and it's funny, you know, the way change management works. You wouldn't believe the resistance. The resistance to this is just, you know, people don't. They're just as a as a whole, people are so uncomfortable with change that it's like we're fighting tooth and nail to hang on to something. Right. And every time I'm part of those conversations, I say like, well, hey, what what are we hanging on to? Like what worked well in the old system? Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But but it's but it's something new now. It's something I have to right. relearn and something. Right. It's, it's, right. And I'm gonna point out all the problems. And you know, that's just I guess human nature. That's right. you know why we have change management. And so that's for me where improv really comes into play is just the fundamentals. So it's not like I'm sitting there doing you know, it's not like I'm doing zip zaps off with people and tables, <laughs> getting them to to say yes. And it's more about, for me, the big powerful thing is instead of switching your focus, so instead of looking at all the ways it's not going to work, because you know that, right? You right. you know that. Where I'm not taking that away from you. You're you are spot on with all the reasons why it won't work. Let's shift to the thinking and say, given the reality that we're in, how could we make it work? I mean, it's we, we do have that mindset that uh, of all things, it's going to how we're going to fail. But the right. beauty of improv is it's, it's the yes and philosophy. So, what if this worked? 
How will it look right. like? Let's let's think about that. And a lot of people struggle to to do that. Yes, that is the biggest, and particularly in our service lines, um, I, I observe that. Right now, I'm coaching a team of um, future partners. So we have this program, and it's to kind of you know build the pipeline and really take the, the super high-performing individuals that are on track for partner. And, um, and so working across both with my individual team and then across the, the broader or population of people in that, um, that's where I see that just such a... It, it, there's such a inability, and I don't mean it in a negative way because it's not the people, you know, it, it's just more culture, I think. But it's just that feeling of I, I, I cannot let go of knowing what's wrong because that's my job. And so it's really that, like, it's so simple, but it's slowing it down and it's taking that pause and it's saying, I, I, I acknowledge where we are and, you know, getting people to say, okay, let me just for a moment entertain what would I have to do differently to make this work? And if I know all of the things that can go wrong, then I'm equipped to solve it, <laughs> right? Like if you know what could go wrong, now let's address each of those pieces and go, okay, if it's not going to work because you know, blah, 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 then what's the counter to that? How could we get around that problem? Okay, and now let's look at this one. And, and, and it sometimes needs to be that sort of linear, like let's list out what are all the things that go wrong and now do the counter to each item and, and solve that problem. It it sounds like double entry accounting. We got what's wrong now. Let's find out what's right. It's double entry accounting. I love it. I never thought of it that way. You're, that's right. Neither have I. That just came to me. It's just yeah. what, the way you were laying it out. Like it's you know debits can equal credit still. Things got a right. balance. And, and right. by, by, by giving all the negative, we're, we're completely out of balance. We we got to bring in the, the other side so we can get this balance and we can make the transaction work. You know, I'm just working on some... Uh, so there's a lot of interest. I'm, I'm so excited. There's a lot going on at EY right now. And I, I think it's happening across the big four, but I can speak specifically to the EY experience. Um, there is a tremendous energy within the firm around improv. And it's one of those things. It's kind of like with the experience I had on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, when your top leader... Like only when your top leaders get it is something going to happen. You, you can exactly. bring in... Right. You can bring in teams here and there and do little things... And that's great, and it has an impact, but it's just you know it's like chipping away at, at a big behemoth. It, it 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 doesn't have that impact. But my experience is that you can't convince leader, you can't convince the the high ups. They they just have to know it in their soul. And I find those people. They they exit. You know, Indra was one of those people. She just knew. She heard it, and she said, "Yes, this can work. Let's do it." Um, and at EY, you know, and, and along with the other clients, we worked with it well as well. It was like if we came in at the lower levels, people were, it was all the improv stuff. People were so f- fearful of, well, how am I going to be judged? What if this doesn't work? What if this is a crazy idea? This is a crazy idea. Um, but once we get the, the buy in at the high levels, and right now at EY, I'm seeing that, and it's so exciting and it's so scary um, because I've sort of put myself out there as somebody who has this experience. And now more and more, pretty significant leaders are coming and saying like, well, hey, what would this look like in the organization? How do we do this? What, what would go on? And so it's pretty exciting. It's a big opportunity. And um, it's big because it's such a big organization. And, and what we're hearing is let's look at it holistically. So let's not just do the one-off workshop here and there. Right. Let's look at how do we build that into our culture in part, I think, because 
you know, in the I think what's turning the tide is that in this face of disruption and and in a, you know the need for innovation and all this sort of stuff, we've got you know the need to be agile and the need to have to be present and and have a strong presence and the need to have vitality in your leadership style. And so, you know, so I think leaders are starting to notice that, hey, we have to do something different to get people there because it's not just a class. It's not just say it and they'll start doing it. It's, it's how do we get, you know, in an experiential way, how do we bring people on, along on that journey? And, and that's, that's wonderful. I, I mean, I've been fighting that battle of, of, of convincing. It is, it is something very positive in the business world. It's, it's, a, it's a technique, it's a tool, it's a philosophy that we can, we can actually uh, create make change we we can change we will change we will we'll, we'll come out better and as you as jay put it you know you, you don't run away from the fear you follow the fear into that unknown but the one you know like you said they get it they get it and a lot of times when i if if they see the title of my book or or they'll hear improv first thing they think of is true carry they think of stand up they think of comedy they think of silly uh, and, and some people, you'll, you'll never convince them that it's nothing other than that. But once I, once we can get in front of them and explain and lay it out, it's like a light bulb goes off big time in the, in the mind. Right, right. Yep. It's, it's, and in, in today's disruptive world, and with the increased use of technology, I think those who are in the profession, the accounting profession, those, you know, they call them soft skills. Uh, you know, but they're pretty hard to master, as I like to say. But yeah. we, we're going to have to rely more on those skills to make the connection. I think that's the one one of the big things that improv does. It helps us make a connection, and it's all about building relationships and, and how business grows and how how profitability yeah. increases. And improv is such a key component in that. God, you can't tell a guy you're passionate about it, do you? Can you? <laughs> And, and I love it. I love it. And um, it, you know, I, I was listening to I was listening to several of your podcasts, and I was hearing a lot about how accounting is changing and how accountants need to bring. You know, it's no longer about the do. What was it? I heard someone say it's no longer about the do. It's about the. Um, it's about the application, and it's about like bringing value beyond. You know, it's not about sitting there doing. Doing the accounting work as much as it's now going to be about insights and what what do you bring beyond just the doing part, right. and that's where I think as we look at that transformation of that business, that's where something like this is so essential because you you can't just you know right like people aren't going to just pivot and get that and and start doing things differently, particularly when you look at the skill sets and backgrounds of folks that tend to be in that kind of um, in that industry, so. I love what you said before about the the debits and credits. I'm going to steal that okay. um, and use that as I'm socializing this through EY because it's so important that I think with improv that we lead with the business case and that we lead with the why and and the what that comes out of it. And you know, it, it was funny when when we did our stuff on the outside. I always just say call it the outside, but the the, <laughs> the, the world, you know. We did the opposite. We would come in and our approach was more about let's just hit people right off the bat with, hey, we're going to do something different. Everyone up on your feet. Let's go. And then we'd get them right into exercises. Right. And then afterwards, we would kind of... Then we would make the connections and the, the you know, do the debrief. And what I am... You know, I, uh, 
I think the way things are going now, we just need to set up up front. We have to do the business case. We have to look at it the way we would do any any slide deck, right? Going into a going in to be persuasive about something. It's it's got to lead with here's value, here's purpose, here's what we can get out of it. Think of it like the the double. I, I'm going to use that. Think of it like you know we've we've outlined all the no's. Now let's look at the yeses. And um, the other piece is. And thinking back to that team that I'm working with is um, how do we help people be uncomfortable in front of clients and not only survive, but thrive? And how do we shift from having to know all the answers, have all the information, stand there and tell? How do we shift to asking the better questions and being comfortable that we don't know what's going to come from that? Right? Like when you open up to questions, you just lost control in a way because now it's whatever the other person says, but that's... That's what we need. We don't. We don't need to be, you know, accountants that just tell anymore. It's it's really got to be that that you know open to that dialogue. Well, then I I'll I'll just say that you know if we bring it back to improv and, and the mm-hmm. skill to do it is become one better listeners and, and with the whole concept of listening to understand versus listening to respond and park whatever agenda that we have just putting it aside mm-hmm. and just ask questions and and, and that, you know. Make, have you thought about this? Well, oh, I read somewhere about this, and just keep pushing that that conversation forward through active listening. But a lot of times, there's so many barriers to listening. One being our own agenda, our own biases, our own ego, that we don't listen. We're just, we're just telling and shoving. I think that's the skill set that has to be learned and, and, yeah. and enhanced because it's not something that you, it's taken me. I don't know how many years. Once I realized I was a really poor listener, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would interrupt and I have my own agenda. And, you know, and it's taken a long time, but I, I, I work on it every single day to become a better listener and try to understand and find out what the, that real need is. Because when, when a partner or a client or whomever says, I, I like to ask them a question, what keeps you up at night? And then let them talk. And then mm-hmm. ask them, because that first, well, my people are keeping me up at night. Or, you know, Sally. Mm-hmm. Sally's keeping me up at night. I thought your wife's name was Mary. Um, you know who Sally is. <laughs> Same as last year. Yeah. But it's just following up and asking those questions to dig in deeper to get to what the core is. That's the skill that, that, that improv really brings in and what we really need in this disruptive uh, business cycle, business climate that we're in. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. That that was um, when I think back to some of the successes that we had um, when we were running the business. I, sometimes I felt like I was cheating because I would go in with questions, and then the client starts talking, and then you ask more questions, and then they talk more. And I I felt like I would leave meetings with the answer key because yeah. they told us what they wanted, they told us what they needed. Now I just had to kind of go, you know, go kind of bring that to life, but it took out. I didn't have to guess. I didn't have to make it up. I didn't have to. I didn't have to do what we. You know the the. I, I knew what to do. They told me, and they would typically talk at great length about what they needed and tell me way more than I than I would have ever surfaced if I had come in telling them what I thought they needed and then saying any questions. That's why I don't use questions in this podcast. It's one of the reasons why I, I don't. Is mm-hmm. have a conversation. You never. I, I've had a couple of guests. Call, I never thought we would go. Karen Karen Eddington mm-hmm. uh, episode. At the end of we were done with Pete. I never thought we would go there. 
I, I never, I, and she was happy about it, but she was, I, I never thought that to this line of question, we, we would get, we would get to that point. And, and that's what I love about improv. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just allows you to take whatever and just put it aside. You've done your homework. I mean, I'm not coming in here right. you know, not having done, done my homework. And, and if it's in front of a client, right. doing the homework, but it's key, you know, Improv is all about the ability to draw upon your expense, your experiences, your your knowledge, and your education, and apply it in a in a in a way necessary that meets the needs of of, of the person at that point in time. Yep. That adaptability. That adaptability. And it, it's it's it, it, and it can be taught. I truly believe it can be taught. Agreed. Agreed. I, I really liked. I heard you say it in. Um, I heard you say it in a YouTube video. You were talking. You were, I think, presenting to White Castle, mm-hmm. and you talked about something about showing up with the plan and then being ready to throw the plan away. Right. Right. Yeah. You've got a plan. Right. right. You've got a well. Like you. You plan. Right. Improv isn't saying. You know. You. We. We're winging everything. Let's just. You know. Let's just make it up. No. No. It's you plan like mad. And then you're prepared to throw your script away based on what's happening in the moment. Exactly. And, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is for those who do an, an improv show, and I think Jay addressed this, is there's a lot of preparation that goes in advance. And, and, and there's a lot of rehearsal that goes in advance to, to figure out, okay, oh, we just screwed that up. So now I'll keep that in the back of my mind or this, what this, and just gaining that knowledge and experience. So when you are up on stage and, and mm-hmm. you throw that whole script away, but you know, it's still in your head. And it's the ability, you know, as I always said, as they always said, ability to think on your feet. Yep. And and adapt. And I did did a a presentation for the Nebraska Society of CPAs at a conference and it was this improv. And one of the things, because I really harp on the listening piece, I said, we played this game called um, Last Word Spoken. Mm-hmm. Where I've had people pair up, and someone would say a sentence, and at the end of that sentence, the, the last word that is said in that sentence is the first word in the other person's sentence. Uh-huh. And one thing, uh, one, the, the reason do that is because a lot of times the most important thing that's said comes really at the end of that sentence. And if we cut people off, we don't listen, we miss on that one piece. And there was a CEO in the audience that that, he, that just really struck him. And I ended up coming out working with their sales team out in Nebraska. Uh, nice. Two hours of, of of just doing this because he realized he, was, he wasn't a very good listener. And, and he said, my salespeople, were, we, we need to get better at this. And it came out. And actually, he turned it. He was telling me that he and his son, who I think were like 10 or 11, they were playing it at the dinner table. And just absolutely loved it. Can be taught. Wow. I agree. I don't. I, I hear the passion in your voice. You hear the passion. We we both thoroughly believe. And yeah. and, and go back and listen to Jay's voice. Go back and listen to Annie Conarachi. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got one coming up. I interviewed a, a professor at uh, Northeastern, Antonio uh, Antonio Guzman, who built an improv course for the IT department. For the IT student wow. as part of the curriculum, and, and he's a uh, uh, he's a uh, associate professor in theater, and it's all all these you all must say the same thing. It is applicable in business. We just have to learn how to do it in order to get better. 
And you're doing a great job. Sounds like you're doing a great job with the folks at EMY. If if they if they're buying in on it. Yep. Yep. I think so. I mean, there it's 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 a perfect storm where where things I think are aligning, and um, it, it's it's I just thought of something as you were talking. Um, you talked about hearing energy in my voice, and I used to not have that. It, I 100% attribute that to improv. So, what I used to do was be much more concerned with sounding corporate, and it would hold me back when I would talk. Anytime I would speak, I was so thinking like. I need to sound a certain way. I need to sound like everyone else. I need to be super buttoned up. I need to be polished. I, you know, am I using the right lingo? I was so in my head with that stuff. And um, it was really, uh, you know, Jay, my husband pushed me on that because he would hear me on calls and say like, who, who are you? What is that? That's so weird. Get, lose the business voice. And it became an issue where I realized like, if I, like, I'm prepared, I'm ready. If I throw my script, you know, it wasn't like a script script as much as it was like this mental script of how I need to sound. If I let that go and just speak, what happens? And I, I tested it out and it started working. And now I feel I'm a, I'm a different... I show up completely differently at work now from how I used to in the past because I can speak, I can be myself... I know my stuff, I think, and you know, and then it translates to an energy, and then I hear a lot of feedback around you've, you know, like you've got an energy about you, and I just think that's, I think everyone has that energy, it it, it hides or we hide it, and so how do we help people bring it out so that we can speak passionately and you know energetically and enthusiastically, even if it's about you know the the driest accounting subject. It's still, you know, there, there's something we can awaken there in people. Oh, I wholeheartedly believe because I had, a, I've been making notes as, as you've been talking, and one of the earlier notes I had is because you said something about how you, it changed how the way you showed showed up to work, and that was one of the questions I was, I was make sure that I got to. But thank you for answering it. It is, <laughs> it is that showing up, and, and but the, the other aspect of it is, I, I, there's another crusade that I'm on, is uh, especially with, with accountants, tax people. I ask them, uh, do they speak a foreign language? Who speaks a foreign language in an audience? I get a few hands go up and I go, well, let me rephrase that. How many of you speak the foreign language of business called accounting or tax? <laughs> and everybody's hand goes up and I went, you, you, you speak a foreign language. You just don't realize because it sounds like English. And when your client doesn't understand what you're saying, but just because you say it louder, say depreciation <laughs> louder, they're not going to get it. And, and, and I'm on this about uh, taking the complex knowledge, and this is why I'm, I'm writing this book. Is how do we take that complex knowledge that we have and basically translate it into plain English or translate it into a way that we can, that everybody can understand or whoever my audience is at the time can understand? I yeah. think that, that's the other aspect of this, but it, and I'll tie it back to improv. It, it's, it's the fear uh, or it, it's, it's, the, it's yeah. that change. Why yeah. do I have to do that? I've never had to do that before, but you know what? We're going to have to do it as if we're not going to be ticking and tacking and doing that if we're out there doing more of the consulting relationship, building, the advising, the, the, the future. We have to take that complex stuff and just translate it and make it something that everybody can understand. And it can be done. It takes time. It takes creativity. And I, I will attribute all of that to... Uh, my being a student of improv for over 20 some odd years. So there's something to think about as you're developing these programs and stuff and, and, and talking yeah. around the EY, uh, uh, these challenges that, that the profession is, is uh, facing. 
and, and how do we how do we evolve into the the new CPA, the new accountant, the new assurance, the new and even from an internal the product lines and, and services and so on and so forth. Um, it probably will help you get there a lot quicker, but you just have to have that open mind. Yep. You know, there's there's so much. To, I, I agree with you completely. And to even sort of put the to put a sense of urgency to it, you know, there's so much concern now with things like, you know, things like robotic process automation coming and 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 or being here and and people so concerned about well, what does this mean for the future? What does this mean for my job? Um, I was at a. I heard a panel speaking um, a couple of weeks ago, and and a similar question came up, and it was to some um, to some really um, esteemed industry folk. And somebody said, like, well, well, what's going to happen, or how how are we going to get the people on board so that they shift their thinking this way? And completely deadpan, straight face, the guy's answer was Darwinism. <laughs> And he said, "Those who he said that there are forward thinkers who will do it, they will survive. The rest will be left behind." And I think that's a really good point, right? Like this, this has become we've reached a sense of urgency where if you're not actively moving to shift your skill set so that you can sort of take this new take this new approach and be more in the moment and be able to react and respond and be you know ultimately have that lead to being a trusted business advisor you're going to be left behind because that's just the way things are evolving yeah i agree and i had on my podcast april of april of last year a woman named Jody Paydar the radical cpa mm-hmm. uh, i just reinterviewed her cuz she's got a new book coming out and basically what you just said mm-hmm. summarized our conversation that we had recently um, uh, about this, uh, I think uh, her episode's coming out the week before yours is. So Ooh, nice, nice timing there. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we as we begin to wrap up, what what okay, what advice would you give to the this audience about becoming more forward thinking, becoming more of a risk taker, uh, of not fearing the fear? What advice would you give them? In order to help to get past that, can I have about four days to think of that? I just interviewed a guy, John Pets, and he goes, Would you quit asking me these questions that's going to take me three weeks to answer? <laughs> so I would go back to, you know, it, I, I talked about it before, but I think sometimes it's repetition and sometimes it's the basic things that help the most. And, and just from a really, Really simple. I, I can't stress this enough. That idea of when you when you see yourself putting up a wall, when you see yourself saying no, when you start reacting to something and saying, mm, not going to work, or just having that contrarian point of view, pause and say, okay, how could it work? And then play it out. And really try to think of it. Really spend a minute thinking, okay, if we were in an alternate reality, like let's let's forget the fear that it's not going to work in the real world. Let's just think if we were in an alternate reality with similar constraints, what what could we tweak to make this work? And that, what I've observed is that is what starts people along the path to change. And it's it's basic, right? It's just it's I I, I can't I don't want to do like big high level. Big high level stuff. It's it's that one thing. Practice that skill. Start noticing. I mean, it's going to be hard to even notice those moments because we so automatically move to sort of strike things down just because that's the nature of business. Our job is to identify problems and solve them. But pause and look at okay, since I know what can go wrong, 
what could, how, how can we make this work? Perfect. That's, I, you, if you could see the hair on my arms are standing up straight. I've got goosebumps uh, because you just summed it up. I mean, yeah, bravo. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was, that was, that was uh, like Guy Fieri. That was spot on. Wow. Well, it's teamwork, right? You set me up with a question. So then I was able to, you know, with improv, we talk about set the partner up so that they can do the, they, like you bump to them so they can spike. And exactly. so, yeah. It's, it's being there for your team, for your teammate. Uh, and I'm going to go back and listen. I'm going to write all that down and, and make sure that I keep that in front of me because you, you put it so eloquently and so, so passionately that even though I get it, I find myself even at times forgetting to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just working on it every single day in order for it to become that habit that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't begin to thank you enough. And you're right. Jay was right. Yeah, uh, Jay, you were right. She blew, she blew my doors away. I mean, <laughs> wonderful insight, wonderful stories. Wow. And, 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 you know, and but it, it, you know, it, it felt like it felt like a, a, a screenplay because we started off and it just seemed like everything kept building, kept building, kept building, kept building. And then boom, he just knocked it out of the park with, 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 the, last, with the last bit. It, 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 it's been an absolute pleasure to, to uh, do this interview with you. I, I, the, the smile on my face is, is just from ear to ear and, and I, I can't begin to thank you enough. Right back at you. Same thing here. Um, this, this is, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know what you know until, <laughs> until someone else kind of points it out. So, so this is a fun experience for sure. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And thank you so very much. And give my best to uh, Jay. I will do. Now, that was a very low energy interview. And that is sarcasm on my part. I'd like to thank Lori again for sharing her story and her insights on how improv makes a positive difference in your organization. If you like this episode or any of the 89 prior, share it with a friend, a coworker, or any stranger you pass. Remember, you can connect with me on social media, and the platforms that I use are Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. You can subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is full of useful tips and techniques on becoming a better improviser. And you can subscribe by going to my website, petermargaritas.com, and clicking the contact drop-down button on the menu bar from my homepage. In episode 91, I interviewed Jim Canarucci, who's the founder of Transition Management Advisors and Constituent Hub. We have a fascinating conversation about developing your purpose story and aligning it with your purpose formula. Thank you again, and always remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization and in your life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.